0: for women success china is powered by the cynic network we are a bi-weekly podcast focused on capturing the lives of women in and from greater china at the top of their professional game i'm your host juliana batista many thanks to the entire team at sup china including co-producer kaiser quo jason mcronald for editing and jamie lee for marketing speaking of You can actually help us out by taking a few minutes to fill out the brief listener survey, the link of which can be found in the podcast description. Your responses are appreciated and they actually help us create a lot of great new content. This week we are joined by Lan Yan, chairman and CEO of Lazard Greater China. She's also the author of the riveting new book, House of Yan, which we also linked in the podcast description. The history of the Yan family is inseparable from the history of China over the last century. In my time with Lan, her story is a backdrop for the profound success that she has attained in both law and investment banking. I think that there's something that we can all learn from her outlook, which is layered with advice from prominent female figures, hard work, and an innate optimism for the new. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ta for Ta, Women's Success China. We are really excited today to have Lan Yan on the show. She is the CEO of Lazard Greater China. And we are just going to spend some time chatting, learning about your very impressive and layered uh, professional and personal careers. And I was hoping that you could, you know, just start by telling listeners um, almost like a highlights reel. Uh, of your career,
1: thank you, Juliana, for your invitation to join you for this discussion. So, yes, my career. <laughs> well, I was born in Beijing, and then um, the friend will discover all my path through my book, right? Named "The House of Ye." Actually, uh, I am the chairman and CEO of Lazar Greater China. So, I worked between Hong Kong. And Beijing. Uh, So in charge of Greater China Lazar team, we're focusing on advising clients for cross-border M&A. And before I joined Lazar, I was um, a lawyer, French lawyer for 20 years. And uh, before I started my career as a lawyer, I studied um, French first and then um, the uh, law the degree in Peking University. Then I went to Switzerland to study a PhD in Geneva. So this um, is my very rapid uh, resume.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll we'll dive into that a bit more, and I I think you know great place to start and. A very exciting recent thing that's been happening is that you've published a book and you're the author of House of Yan. And that book documents the sweeping cultural and historical transformations of China and your family's history through the early 20th century to present day. So could you actually tell us a little bit more about the origin story of the book? What led you to decide to document and reflect on some very important transformations in your family's history and really share some personal experiences with the world
1: mm. In fact I lived um, in France for more than 10 years during 90s 1990s mm. During this time, whenever my friend asked me about my family, about China modern history I told how astonished they were when I told them what my family and I had experienced and survived. So I realized that not only the foreign friends, but also the younger generation of Chinese had very little concept of what happened in China during that period, during the Cultural Revolution or the period that preceded So in fact, the story of my family through Three generations—my grandfather, my father, and myself—is in large part a reflect of the history of modern China. So I decided to write as a witness of the times we had lived through. And five years ago, I went back to Paris and met an old friend of mine. She asked me whether or not I have a personal project. I said, "Yes, of course. (laughs) When I retire." I will write down my family story. But he said, why now? You should do mm-hmm. it right now. Instead of waiting for your retirement, she was right. Then I began to write. Uh, two years later, in tw- uh, 2017, my book was published in France, in French. If I choose to write it first in French, because French is my first foreign language, and mm. for me, the French is forever remind the language of freedom. I want to share my story directly with my French friend. They had to encourage me to put my account of events in writing. So today, I'm very happy, just like you mentioned, this in January. So my book was translated into English by Harper Collins. And mm-hmm. so I can share with you and with a lot of friends who can read the English, my own personal story. And through the story gave you, um, glimpse into 100 year of modern China history.
0: And actually on that note, I, I really wanted to ask you what it was like to see the changes brought about by the Cultural Revolution in China. And how did your understanding of what was happening to your family at the time compare to how you understand it now as an adult?
1: At that time, I was a child when Cultural Revolution started in 1966. And those events seen through eyes of a child was totally frightening, and uh, I didn't understand at all what was happening, but world, my world seemed to have gone crazy. I, um, my world, had turned upside down. So I almost lost all my beloved member in my family, and my parents. My father was put in jail. My grandfather was put in jail, and my mother was. In sent to the labor camp and mm. all my ankles and aunties despaired either put in jail or sent to the labor camps in the countryside. So, I couldn't understand at all. But for me, it's just like um, uh, um, totally a darkness surrounding myself. Lonely child. But only much Later, as an adult, I began to understand the reason or the rational, if you can call this such, of this 10 years nightmare, 10 years disaster. Mm-hmm. The main reason was Mao initiate cultural revolution, mainly because he suspected that the leaders around him, such as Liu Ti. Xiaoping wanted to replace him. So the Cultural Revolution began as a power struggle. So as I also write in my book, Mao had observed the Soviet president. So Mao launched this Cultural Revolution in form of a call to mobilize the masses, to do the revolution, and uh, to let them to challenge both and overthrow everything. So Against this background, my grandfather was suspected to being a member of anti revolutionary group in the Northeast, while my father was regarded as a Soviet spy. He was forced to admit, it, admit to being a translator for the Shorty for his secret communication with Soviet Union leaders. The chemical part sorry, the comical part, come when they even suspected that uh, the radio at my home was a transmitter for spying activities, which, of course, was totally nonsense. For this reason, my father was in jail for seven years and a half in a single confinement, and my grandfather died there seven months after he was arrested. It was only until 10 years later that the family, my family, was officially notified of his death. So, so this is why for us and for me, it's even more important to write down as a witness and to let younger generation know what happened in this darkness period in the modern mm. history of China, and to remember and to avoid that uh, events could repeat.
0: I think one thing that you you note and you talk a bit about your family's background, and mm-hmm. I think it would also be helpful for listeners to almost couch it in that context of of understanding the prominent role that your family had alongside. Uh, very well-known figures like Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping. Um, could you could you talk a bit more about that as well? Yes. In fact, my
1: grandfather, Yan Bo Hong, he was uh, born in uh, in a poor peasant family in Liaoning province in the northeast China. And he managed to go to school and then go to financial support, went to Edinburgh University, for social, political, social science study during the 1920s, when Japanese occupied his hometown in Manchuria in 1931, he participated actively in anti-Japanese movement with his friends and joined nationalist leader Jiang Shek and his wife Madame Su Mei Li in Nanjing. There. Later my grandfather met Zhou Enlai, who convinced him to join the Communist cause. Then Tang became a secret agent during the Second World War. So my grandfather obtained some very important information. For Mm. example, he got uh, information about uh, Pavalosa operation. Which indicate the timing of German plan to attack Soviet Union. His son, my father, Yan Mingfu, was a diplomat at age of uh, 21 and Mao Zedong's personal China Russian interpreter. So he was today the only living witness to the Sino Soviet relationship from honeymoon to the Cold War, as he was involved in all the talks and discussions between Mao and Chinese leaders and Soviet leadership in 1950s and the 60s before the Cultural Revolution. So this is uh, the background of uh, my family.
0: And, you know, on the point of your family, your mother was branded as a counter-revolutionary and you went with her to a re-education camp for, I think it was five years. You you spent a lot of time with your mom and I I feel that, you know, she would have such a incredible influence and impact on your life. And I think you do talk about that in your book. Did having this strong female figure in your life really leave a lasting impression with you uh, as you, you went about, you know, your education and your future career endeavors. Did you think about that at all at the time? Um, Indeed. <laughs> I think all the time.
1: Thanks to them all the time because uh, you know, the Yen family women were uh, still are very strong, both in nature, nature and in character. First, my grandmother, and then my mother. And I have uh, five aunties. <laughs> they are all remarkable women, both oh determined goodness. and uh, kind-hearted. But of course, in my book, I talked Manley uh, two figures in Yes family, female figures, my grandmom <laughs> and my mother, who are do- undoubtedly had the greatest impact on me. First of all, my grandmother, I just want to say a few words because I spent all Mm -hmm. my childhood with her until the Cultural Revolution. In fact, my grandmother, whose marriage at 16 years old was arranged with my grandfather, who was only 14 years old. And my grandfather, my grandmother at that time got a fee like all the women at that time. So agreement for her and for him of this arranged marriage is that my grandmother asked for unbound her feet. And my grandfather of 14 years old asked that immediately after their marriage, he can leave very next day to go to school in Shenyang. So both accept the condition, they got married. My grandmom was determined to get an education. And because she, uh, as all the girls in parents' family, they didn't have chance to study. But she definitely wanted to study, want to learn. So she, with the help of mm-hmm. her husband, my grandfather, self-taught in Chinese. When my grandfather went to Edinburgh University for study during the 1920s, my grandmother decided to go to night school for mm-hmm. to learn English. Also, so I still remember she is generous, immensely kind, and compassionate. During the Second World War, a lot of my family friend, old friend, they wrote memoir all in huge compliment to my grandmother. This uh, she. So I learned from their memoirs that uh, my grandmother sold all her belongings, all her possessions and jewelries to help the migrant immigrant from Northeast and uh, to help the less fortunate friend in Chongqing who lost all. So I still remember very clearly her generosity, warm heart, courage, optimism, even at the most difficult moment after my grandfather, my parents arrest. I spent almost one year with her alone, but she always told me that uh, we should uh, keep hope. And uh, she repeatedly told me a Chinese uh, old story named "The Mister Sai Lost His Horse." This one, um, so so friend can find in my book. This means from all the negative events, you can always draw the strength, and there always ha- has something has a benefit. And talking about my mother, she is a Korean diplomat who spoke English, French, and self-taught Italian because at the 1950s. So they are very few Italian Chinese translators for Chinese leaders. So my mother was a volunteer. She found a old dictionary of Latin, Italian, and Chinese in a flea market. And she went on, became Mao Zedong's first Italian-Chinese interpreter. Mm. Surprisingly, and uh, she, you know, in Chinese tradition, the family always want to have a boy, at least one, because it's um, uh, the boy who can carry on family names, right? Family tradition, etc. Mm-hmm. But my mother was delighted he told me, to discover her first and only child was a daughter. So after my birth she decided to return to her career and left for Switzerland when I was only four months old, leaving me wow. to to my grandparents' care. So my mother was a true feminist this yes. transpired in the way she raised me, always encouraged me to do the same thing than boys. She said, oh, man, you shouldn't be so shy. Uh, climbing the trees, the scaring, courtyard walls, running, camping, etc. So she always encouraged me to do things with boys. And uh, her constant uh, mantra being, it is not because you are a girl, that you cannot do something. So I mm-hmm. always remember that, not because you are a woman, you have a goal. You can do everything as long well as you decided to do, right? So it's really influenced, this impacted all my whole my life until today. <laughs> so in my choices, career choices, and um, for all my decision making. Uh, process, but for my mother, I only really got to know her during the Cultural Revolution. Because, as I mentioned, I spent my childhood with my grandmother, grandparents. She was traveling with my father um, all over the world by their work, and during the Cultural Revolution, so she was sent to the countryside in the reeducation school in Henan Province. One year later, I was alone. One year, at age of ten, in Beijing, as often. One year later, I joined her in the countryside. Only at that moment, we spent together few years, five more than five years, six years together. It was there I truly discovered my mother. She was beautiful. So you can saw, you can see, sorry, you can see the pictures in. My book, when she was young and uh, very intelligent and um, very knowledgeable. But also, I discovered my mother is a strong woman, resilient and very brave. She was at that time at the countryside. She was under huge pressure to divorce my father. Because at that time, if you divorce a husband who committed a crime, who was so-called a Russian spy, and you will get chance to go back to Beijing, but my mother refused it categorically. She was forced mm. to do hard labor, making breaks all day long and uh, having to attend self criticism sessions regularly in the evening, but she never broke. On the weekends I could join her for one day Sunday. Sometimes she has free Sunday, so she took me on her back. We went uh, a back tour uh, through the countryside. I still always remember the scene that uh, we were so happy to escape this uh, horrible atmosphere at that time. So she told me a lot about uh, Chinese culture, literature, etc. And uh, taught me reciting Tang Song Dynasty poems and uh, tried to pass me her strength and optimism and encouraged me never to give in. So in fact, my book, in many ways, a testimonial to those brief and resilient women who were always my role models for my whole life. And who told me the value of learning and remembering always that however dark the world seems around us, they always do beauty, poetry, and hope out there. So keep up hope alive is the tradition and it's the most important thing they pass on.
0: Yeah, education and knowledge are such power, and what a powerful way to to illustrate that point. You know, um, this actually. Now that you're talking about the writing of the book, this is actually something that I've been curious about. Much of Howsian is a a personal narrative uh, of your experiences, but you also. Um, there's a lot that's woven into it. There are artifacts, as you said. There are photos. When you set out to write the book, did you have any big gaps in your your knowledge? Did you have to, like, what was the process like of writing the book? Did you have to go and read more of these memoirs of friends of yours? It, are there people in your family that you you wanted to interview? Was there knowledge that was missing that you you had to find? Um, I'm assuming that you had a team of people also working with you and helping to collaborate and um, all the important things to get a book published. Uh, But like where were some of the, in the process of actually writing the book, where were some of the biggest knowledge gaps for you? Were there any? It's
1: a very interesting question. (laughs) Because
0: in fact, no,
1: (laughs) I tell you, I was so lucky. I am so lucky. Because my family stories was written. Uh, because, really? Yes, because my, there are a lot of books there are some books about, already about my grandfather. So all the historical archives I could get easily. Mm. And then my father published his memoir um, seven years ago. And my mother, Mm-hmm. She passed away seven years ago, wrote a book only for me and for my son. So she said she would like us to understand the family story, her family story. After her retirement, she devoted her time to do a lot of research in her hometown, in her parents' home, uh, you know, the family got a lot of... Uh, historical archives. So I was so lucky. My father, when he did his, he spent 10 years in research, documentary, etc., for his memoir. So he spent a lot of time in Moscow because he wrote a big part of his, his memoir is about Sino-Soviet Union relationship and this history. He was um, a wi- the only alive witness, as I mentioned. So I have uh, no. Uh, I don't need uh, anyone to help me <laughs> to uh, find all this. Um, very easy to find all these uh, historical facts, historical uh, archives, and informations regarding my part. I it's always in my heart and in my mind. So. I still remember the first day I went to see my French editor and uh, I told her my story and she said Lan, we signed immediately a contract for the book. I said, Oh <laughs> I never wrote a book. Indeed I of course <laughs> I, I wrote I wrote a uh, doctor thesis i know i can spend months and months in the library (laughs) to Mm -hmm. do the research so i have the methodology right but i never wrote a book i'm not a writer but she said Lan, i just give you one advice you just uh, you just empty what you want to say in your head so i think she's not never restrict yourself Um and uh, just uh, write all you want to say, all you remembered, etc. So I think it's really good advice. Of course, when I finished my first draft, it was uh, 1,200 pages. And then she said, I have Mm. to cut you (laughs) half.
0: (laughs) 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 Because it's uh,
1: too much. (laughs) You see? So I, well, I also... I was very lucky. So my editor find someone to help me to uh, read, write, rewrite, because uh, the French is my first foreign language, but it's not Mm -hmm. my mother tongue language, right? So I'm so lucky to get a lady who helped me. And uh, so this is only a team of uh, two ladies work, (laughs) if I can say so. (laughs) (laughs)
0: so when you wrote those a thousand two hundred something pages did you just sit down every day was that did you just utilize the methodology from your years working towards (laughs) your PhD (laughs)
1: yeah no in fact um, I because uh, well the story I I have to tell another story when I signed the contract with my editor in Paris I fixed immediately appointment with my CEO, my boss. I said, oh, sorry, I have to quit. I have to leave plaza I said, why? <laughs> I said, I just signed a contract. It's, it's my, you know, now it became my duty and my mission to finish this uh, story, this book within two years, because I fixed the objective to write a book and fix uh, within two years. And uh, so my boss told me that uh, 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 the following thing. He said that I never, uh, um, I never saw someone who left Lazar publish a book, but I did see someone, the people who stay in Lazar and have published book <laughs> I said okay this is encouragement so in fact um, so this means I am uh, I was working and uh, lead the team lead the project but on the same time I try to find uh, the time for writing my book but I have uh, you know write a book for me just like a leader project so I said okay two years I have to finish my book I have Let's say 30 chapters or 40 chapters. So each month I have to finish, um, let's say few chapters. So during the weekend, all the weekend, I spend a lot of weekend, my holidays, the time flying long distance from Beijing to Paris, from Hong Kong to New York. So. I worked on client because we don't have, uh, we didn't have emails. You know, you have a quiet moment to think it over. So this, and then I worked with my friend. She is, um, she was in Paris, so we worked through WeChat. You see, and um, so I sent all the chapter I wrote, and she, uh, you know. Uh, to give me comments and um, etc. So we worked very well together. So I think finally the right for me, the writing this book, just like uh, I work to lead a project, right? You have uh, your calendar, your calendar. So you have your have your planning and then you have to each period, each month for example, I have to finish what I plan to do.
0: <laughs> so mm-hmm. this
1: step by step. Yeah. So this is, um, and uh, in fact, I think it's, um, uh, quite, um, well, it's not burdensome at all, but also it's very painful some moment when you dig, the, um, something it's uh, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, and uh, you reopen it and uh, so you can see it's still the, 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 Still bleeding, right? So, so when I recall, remember all this uh, very painful period during that uh, I spent with my grandmother, my mother, and all the suffering we got. So it's it was very difficult moment
0: for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, and it's almost, when you're writing it, I could assume that you're revisiting, yeah. uh, but you also, it, I would assume it's somewhat also cathartic to to be able, I mean, you said that yeah. there are other memoirs in your family, but to really be able to show it through yours, your eyes, a woman's eyes, um, I, I can imagine that was also a unique experience in that sense. So I would be remiss if I didn't talk about your your educational experiences, especially that you just alluded to uh, how important education is. And, um, you know, what's unique uh, about in 1977, uh, the reopening of the university system in China, uh, you know, that obviously had huge uh, policy impacts, but I know that it also had huge personal impact. And um, I was hoping that you could tell listeners a bit about how that reopening of the education system really helped chart your course in life. Yes,
1: it's indeed, it's a very important uh, period um, of my life. As you know, during the Cultural Revolution, only workers, peasants, and soldiers had any chance to go to university. So as me and uh, a lot of the other young people we are from a bad family, bad you know laborers, bad family, anti-revolutionary families. So we even don't dare to think about go to university. We didn't have any right to go to college. So Cultural Revolution ended in 1976, and Deng Xiaoping uh, started to launching the reform, economic reform. In 1977, Deng Xiaoping decided to reopen university to all young and less young Chinese, enable them to apply through a national examination. So I still remember I was so excited by this news. It's my dream. I dream, I dream to go to university to learn and to study, etc. So I um, was among the luckiest one of my generation as I was given the opportunity to go to university and by succeed my exam, only at that year only five percent of five point seven million applicants were admitted to go to different Chinese universities. Hmm. I felt I had just caught the last trend which could change my life. But indeed it changed. So it's a turning point in my life. So I got a bachelor degree in French literature, and then I went to Peter University for Master of Law, and then I went to Switzerland, Geneva, to study my PhD. This was indeed a very important turning point of my life in 1977. And- sorry. Sorry.
0: Yeah. And in, in, uh, you mentioned that you went abroad for higher education. You also write about the phenomena of haigui, which um, basically alludes to the ambival- ambivalence that some Chinese students feel about returning from school abroad. And I want to n- understand a bit more about what ultimately led you to live in China was it difficult at any point to reconcile the trauma that you and your family had experienced early on in your career, which you just recently talked about, and then the idea of, you know, contributing to the economy, forging a career there, um, re yourself culturally? Was there anything that you had to reconcile?
1: Well, I should say that if you look at Chinese history, the phenomenon of haigui had already began in the earlier 20th century, right? The Boxer Indemnity enabled more than 1,000 young Chinese students to go to, to go to study in U.S. and trained a large number of outstanding scientists for China. Because the main reason for Chinese backwardness was the lack of scientific knowledge. And education at that time. My grandfather on my mother's side came to study at MIT in Boston in 1922. And he returned to China as a lot of his friends did in 1929. And first, well, first he, as a professor, he teach and then set up his textile company in Tianjin. And my grandfather, on my father's side, went to Edinburgh University to study social political social science. You see, at that time, the young people who came back to China wanted to promote change in their country. 100 years on, it is much the same ambition and aspiration that drive so many young Chinese return home. Their country after study, it was also the case for me. So we studied abroad, and then we hope to use all the knowledge we learned to serve and to more to promote the change as we can in our country. Of course, the young students will always want to go back home if country can offer them the opportunity and hope of realize their dreams.
0: Really incredible. <laughs> I want to jump forward a bit in in the timeline of your career. Um, listeners don't know that I, I first was introduced to you and your book uh, early in 2020 at an event at the China Institute mm-hmm. that was um, featuring you and your stories of success and struggle in communist China, incredible event. Um, And in the question that I had asked you, I honestly forget what the question was, but you told an incredible story about becoming the first female partner at your law firm in Paris. Uh And honestly, from your response to that question, I was like, I, I really want to have her on Top for Top. And I, I was hoping that you could share more about the process of becoming partner there and how your gusto and um, your your willingness to really stand up for, for what you knew that you were capable of um, really led to the, this this big moment of success and something that you were very proud of um, I'd love for you to hear it in your own words and and not mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
1: yeah, I still remember. Yes, you indeed you asked this question about uh, career woman, etc. So I shared. I'm happy to share again um, uh, with you and um, with friends my personal experience. In fact, uh, after my PhD study I um, I moved I joined one of the largest international firms in Paris a few days after joining when a meeting of partners were convened so I heard over the PA system the gentlemen partners please come to the meeting room so I was very surprised and <laughs> curious why they were not only the gentleman partners being uh, summanded. Were there no female partners? As a matter of fact, they were not. At that time, there had never been a female partner in this uh, old, traditional, international French law firm. So I was shocked and confused. But as a newcomer at the time, so I knew the top priority was to do my job well. So that was what I set in my mind to doing my job well, learn well, and deliver, right? So it was common practice in this law firm for a lawyer after seven years, six years work there to try to see whether or not he have an um, opportunity to become partner. he or she. <laughs> she is uh, not the case yet. So at the beginning of my seventh year, I made an appointment with managing partner, so presented a summary of my six years' work and asked directly if I, as a woman lawyer had a chance to become partner in this law firm. My managing partner said, oh, China business developed very well and uh, you had made great contribution. But you know, there is a um, written rule here. We have never had a woman partner. So I asked why and was told that the women will spend time taking care of their family and the kids after getting married and won't be able to uh, to devote it to work as their female colleagues, all of which is nature and um, understandable. So he said he think the same would be true for me. So I replied to him, I was born in New China and where the girl grew up believing that we can hold up we can hold up half of the sky.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the woman and the man born equal and have equal opportunity and equal pay. So this is this was written in Chinese constitution. So why it is here in France the woman lawyer could not compete on the level playing field, on the same level playing field. After a passionate discussion, so my managing partner decided to put aside the unwritten and unreasonable rule and finally said to me, "Lan, only fools never change their minds." <laughs> you have my support. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember clearly that. So, but as you know, in this law firm, a, a candidate. Uh, as a partner candidate, needed at least uh, uh, 75% of of all existing partners' votes in both per capita voting and weighted voting. So I won almost 100% in both the vote rights. Mm -hmm. So became the first foreign, became the first female partner in this historical law firm be, well, I should say the first female partner to be elected until on the same term as my male colleagues. So I um, share this um, uh, story with you today because uh, I believe it is fundamental that in professional field, women show Confidence, confidence in our skills, confidence in our abilities, and also the confidence to ask for that which we deserve. Yeah.
0: So well said. I'm glad I had you say it. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, so you spent, I think it was about 12 years at your law firm What was compelling about the opportunity at Lazard that made you want to make a a career move? Uh, In whole career development,
1: I always like to fix goals for my own professional development. After Mm. 20 years as a lawyer, I'm very happy uh, for my achievement support of my partners, my team members, but I was still wondering what could I do next time? What could uh, be my next goal goal? So I always like to get some new challenges in my career life, in my professional life. So there was an opportunity ten years ago with Lazar posed me to be their head of Greater China. Of course, so the change from a lawyer to an investment banker needs courage to let go the certainty and to get out of your comfort zone. After 6 months hesitation, so I finally decided to jump in. Indeed, after 10 years being in Lazar I met lot lots of challenges, but also I had lots of fun. So I'm happy about the change.
0: At that point in your career, doing something new, how do you be resilient? I can imagine that with tenure and with experience that I think for a lot of people it gets harder, especially professionally, to dive out of what you're really good at, and I love that you say it was fun. Not many people would say that.
1: Yeah, that's right. So in fact, um, uh, I the very first day when I joined Lazar Paris office, so one of the colleagues said, "Told me, oh, uh, maybe he's he saw me a little bit, you know, um, you know, not a lot, but." Um, brand new, you see, <laughs> although I after 20 years, um, a lawyer's career, so uh, I'm I, I mature enough <laughs> to handle this new environment, right, <laughs> but uh, he said, Lan, um, you must have fun with us, so I, at, at the very beginning, I was a little bit surprised, because I uh, Doing twenty years of my career as a lawyer, nobody <laughs> said, "Oh, you must have fun." Because the lawyers' work is very serious, very rigid, and uh, etc. So, but indeed, the fun came from, you know, from a lot of sectors because the challenge. Since my character is, um, I have a curiosity. I want to discover. I want to learn. I want to challenge myself. So indeed, as soon as I joined Lazar, a lot of new things I need to learn and a new area I need to discover. And also, I um, I was very excited to work with the people who has, who, who are so, so knowledgeable in their um, particular sectors. So, so I can learn a lot. So this is the exciting part and the fun part for me in my my work at Lazar. so 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 but I still remember during the first six months I um, should um, uh, you know remember and uh, note everything it's crossed my mind so it's so many and uh, quite often I wake up in uh, at uh, midnight Two or three o'clock in the morning, and I needed to write down what I thought, <laughs> what is the project, mm. what are my suggestions, what I need to do. You see, it was um, a, a, a challenging period, but I um,
0: I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, almost completely engulfed in that period, just getting yes. getting your feet on the ground. Yeah, your career is so impressive because you've risen to such great heights in very difficult industries. Sometimes people would say for women, kind of on the flip side of that, you seem so resolute in your decisions. And has there been a moment in your career where you felt really vulnerable? You actually weren't sure of the path or you were unsure of where things would go? Just just a moment of, of vulnerability. Yeah. So it's
1: interesting. For me, it's very difficult <laughs> to remember when is the vulnerable moment in my career. So I yeah. don't, uh, for me, for my, from my um, character, I, uh, I don't think um, the vulnerability is in my vocabulary. Mm. <laughs> but mm. instead, I prefer to using challenging moments. So, yeah, so I, I like, um, as I mentioned to you, I, I had uh, a lot of challenging moments in my career. Um, just like one example, when I was appointed as head of uh, Lazar Greater China, we, within one month, I lost the old team, not because me. Because uh, not because me they left, but uh, they were already prepared to leave. So one day I was alone (laughs) in my office with the head of Great China, but I'm the only uh, banker, only team member in my team. So I sent a message to my CEO. I said, "Oh, today I was alone, (laughs) and uh, as the only member of Great China." But he replied immediately to me, saying that it was. much better to set up your own team to develop China business. Yes, he was right. It's so true. So I um, then I um, decided to develop my own team, set up my own team, and develop client network in China, promote the Lazar brand name. But after 10 years now, I I'm looking back. I'm so happy to have the courage and determination and with all the support with my colleagues, my boss, etc. So today I'm very happy to have a great team, Lazark with China, with excellent professional bankers. We have a strong client network and excellent reputation in China for cross-border, learning I What one thing I should say that um, one thing I most... Um, Uh, proud of it's um, you know in my team today 65% of senior level bankers are women and they own it not because they are women but because by their merits Mm -hmm. so I'm so proud so today in Lazarko China we have five partners we are five are all women (laughs) so you can see that of course we get a lot of support for Lazar network and global network and sometimes we go to see clients. only so you see with the Lazar team on one side it's almost all female bankers and on our side our client the male you know <laughs> uh, leaders <laughs> and uh, management and uh, they they are joking because you know Lazar um bank has a French name, Lazar Brothers, Lazar Fra Lazar Brothers. Mm-hmm. So my Chinese client said, oh, Madame Yen. So in China, Lazar Brothers should change the name into Lazar Sisters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be a little bit more funny, it seems like given the composition of the partners. <laughs> yes, Oh, wow. indeed. So, Len, I just want to give you an opportunity, um, you know, is there any other, you know, tidbits of learning or advice that you want to share? Yes. I think,
1: uh, hold my book, I think um, it's uh, very important. The one message through my book I want to give to lecturers, to, 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 to readers, to friends is keep hope for change. However, it is a difficult situation. My grandmom and my mother told me this. And um, if there is only message I want to pass on to others through my book, it is the resilience. We have to keep resilience and keep up hope in the difficult moment. Just like right now, the pandemic attacked the whole humanity. A lot of people were locked down at home, lost relatives, friends, and maybe lose their jobs in the future. This is a dark moment, difficult moment, challenging moment for whole world. But we need, in this particular moment, to keep hope alive. life. It will be better. We will go through it. All will be well. This is my That's- message.
0: And I think something really important to leave on is that, you know, keeping hope. And what I really get from you is, I, as I said, this resoluteness, this uh, forging forward in a path, but also being very reflective. It seems like at points in, in your education and even now in writing your book, you don't forget where you where you come from, but you always have an eye on, okay, what's next? How do I continue to take steps and directions towards the goals that I've been setting? And I, what really stood out to me, and I think is something that personally I'm going to be reminded of is I love how you just said, and in that move, I found it fun. I think that's something that people forget so often, uh, especially in professional settings. And I really like that, especially coming from someone who has been so successful.
1: But it's really advice I like to give to female um, uh, professionals, female friends. When you do something, enjoy, enjoy doing. I think it's really, it's, um, it's a, a sort of um, feeling. When you do something, you enjoy doing it, you can certainly succeed. This is my
0: advice. So if listeners want to learn more about your past experiences, you do talk a lot about it here in the podcast, but you don't go completely in depth. They want to read House of Yen. um, Where can they find it? Yeah, they can find it on (laughs) Amazon.
1: So the House of Yen, published by HarperCollins.
0: Awesome. Uh, We'll direct people there. Thank you so much for the time.
1: Thank this has you. Been incredible. It's really lovely to have this discussion with you, Juliana. I hope Great. we will and it- meet, have a drink after pandemic <laughs> in New York. I hope so, too.
0: <laughs> Want more Ta for Ta? Hit subscribe to get updates on our episodes. You can also reach us at Twitter at Ta for Ta. And we love to get messages at ta.for.ta.china at gmail.com. Ta for Ta, women, success, China is a proud member of the Seneca Network. Many thanks again to Kaiser Kuo and Jason McRonald. And until next time, I'm Juliana Batista, and this is Ta for Ta.